This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is proudly sponsored by New Wave Flow State Coffee. Go to newwave.co slash berman, get 10% off, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. Let me tell you a story. Greg Frontero is a friend of mine. He started a coffee company called New Wave Flow State Coffee because he wanted to create something that had health benefits beyond just what coffee brings. So he created this formula. He doesn't hide it at all. Here's what it is. It's coffee. You know what that is. With a little bit of raw cacao, which is a natural antidepressant and also makes the coffee taste very good. And L-theanine, which is an amino acid tea extract that naturally reduces anxiety. You put that together, you get the perfect cup of coffee, the perfect amount of caffeine, and without the jitters, the shakes, or the anxiety. So let me help you have the best cup of coffee experience you could have. Go to newwave.co slash Berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. All right, let's get started with the podcast. Let's get it. Welcome to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thanks for tuning in. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour Podcast because it's really helpful. doesn't matter where you're listening, but rate us five stars, write a nice review, and subscribe. My guest this week is my old friend Brett Delaney from the band Poor Me. If you don't know Poor Me, you should. Consider them the greatest band you probably haven't heard yet. Their new record is called Stalemate, and it is fantastic. They uh, claim Denver now, but don't let that fool you. They're from Wyoming. I met them in Laramie, I think, nine or ten years ago, and we've stayed close. And all the records are great, but this new one, Stalemate, that was kind of the one I always wanted them to release. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to talk any more about them, but check out their music. Poor Me is great. Enjoy my conversation with Brett Delaney from Poor Me. I think we were like, we got to a point where we had plans and then we just didn't do them, which really is the story of Poor Me. (laughs) And then we said, fuck it. Here are five songs. Uh... We hope you enjoy them. And then we pretty much told no one about it. Actually, I had another interview uh, when we were actually pushing this full length. And, uh, you know, it was asked, the sugar cane, blah, blah, blah. We were like, yeah, we basically put it on a full length because we needed to have an excuse to say, here are some songs that we're pretty confident you haven't heard because we did nothing for these five songs. But we absolutely love them. Um, It's just, you know work-life stuff and I'm sure you know how it goes although you seem like you're much better about not having this problem but the knowing what you need to do and then that not always translating to what happens so I appreciate you saying that but I think it's one of those things that everybody at every level I mean trust me dude there are people on Katy Perry's team who are trying to figure out the best way to release new music everybody's wrestling with this because the landscape is constantly evolving and things that worked 
in 2018, you know, when that EP came out, might not necessarily work in the same capacity that they would in 2021. And I mean, in terms of the record that you guys put out, Stalemate fucking rips from beginning to end. And every song feels like it fits. So it's not as if Sugarcane had some weird mix or it was like an off-brand song for you guys or something. And you decided to throw it on this new record and it sticks out like a sore thumb. Everything works. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we, uh, you know, a lot of these songs were actually written around the time that we put together the Sugarcane songs. Um, they just were not ready. And the five we had were ready. We were like, we got to get to studio, you know, all the boring sort of stuff. But, you know, we probably like most bands have a backlog of demos that are piecemeal, you know, somewhat put together there's like a chorus with gibberish words over it and then yeah. there's you know yeah. a full song that's just totally put together instrumentally but then i i'm not feeling it and they're like why don't you write to it and i'm like i don't know creativity <laughs> in the process and all that so we've had them so it makes sense that they're like somewhat cohesive but yeah. we also like that i was in different places over the course of three years obviously to where everything kind of has a different sort of worldview to it something i was focused on and preoccupied by and right yeah it sucks there's not as much music as often but it, it made for what we feel to be a, a pretty good record i feel like when you guys release music it's very potent i mean that was something i recognized the first time i heard ready made which i believe you played for me in your basement when i was just touring through and you were like i these are mixes or whatever or i think these are final mixes or something so it's it's on brand for you guys, or at least as far as I've known you, you know, but you have grown a lot since we met in 2013, I think, as, as a band. And uh, I think there's more of a sense of urgency around this record than Ready Made or Cosplay. Would that be fair to say? I think I think so. Yeah. I mean, um, we went through four years of really watching the world madden. Um, just all across the political spectrum, but I think everyone was tuned into politics and what's more uh, invigorating than politics. And right. I, I wouldn't say that I was any less, maybe even more uh, just amped up by what's going on in the world. And uh, I just, I had a lot of opinions, had a lot of anger and they probably come through on the record. Um, uh, but I think it's good. I mean, that's why I got into punk rock, that sort of like tempered, healthy anger. Uh, I would say went into every single one of the, the new songs post uh, Sugar Game. I remember when Cosplay came out, which was 2015, you guys were, I don't know, the songs on that record are great, but it felt like you were pushing a narrative that was a hard sell for people. And I mean, you named the record Cosplay. And I remember you were doing a blog where uh, at the time, right? Where every song you would do an entry or two kind of about the characters involved or the plot. And you were trying to create yeah. something that was, I'm sure rooted in reality, but was fictitious. Yeah. I mean, it was a concept album that was about all the characters we know and love. I tried like the really duality, talk. the duality of these characters. I mean, like what character? I don't know enough about the comic world comic book world you know it's really funny you say that because neither do i and and people love talking about comic books and i'm like i don't know man uh, i did this record about it i don't know why i did that 
uh, I read up a lot on different uh, arcs and I just kind of picked the ones that I liked and I ended up finding that the ones that, that weren't about like these heroes that had very few weaknesses. I, I enjoyed reading about the weaknesses or the people who were often abused by um, some of these characters and trying to take um, the narrative from like some of the, the victims or some of the things that maybe people weren't super proud of. So I really enjoyed the the process of it. But as far as it being a hard sell, yeah, I mean, we, um, first of all, I gave up on the blog. That doesn't help. <laughs> but, but, you know, beware of the did. side project. Beware of the side yeah. project. <laughs> yeah. You know, so another one of those, man, knowing things you want to do or should do. But yeah, it was, it was just all about, you know, comic book, arcs and those compelling stories that are told in the comic books. And then I kind of lifted them and tried to spin the narrative because, you know, with any good narrative, uh, they kind of tell you who's the protagonist, who's the antagonist. I'm trying to turn that on its head sometimes can be really interesting. And so uh, that was fun. And a lot of songs had that. But Stalemate sounds like y'all coming into your own. It sounds like a band that is well-versed no pun intended, in writing together and constructing songs together. It sounds like a lyricist that has a lot more to say about reality than anything that could be perceived as fictitious. Yeah, man. I I mean, you know me. You know that's that's true. If you can feel it, then you know that's true. I think, um, I think that even things I've said so far about the record, um, even though I still try to step into sort of more empathetic role, I tried grabbing things and speaking how I would how I would feel in those roles. And yeah, I mean, I definitely come through on those. And as I said, that sort of fueled by a lot of anger with um, behaviors that I would see around me, those went into the songs. And so, yeah, they were definitely about me more than cosplay, at least. It seems as if a number of songs, and there's a few that I want to talk about specifically, but you're kind of presenting conflict that is a, a universal experience of, of the modern human experience. Whereas people seem to be placed into an option where they can either do what's best or what's easiest. Like, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed with this record. I'm fanboying out right now, even though. So why didn't I have you I write the liner notes? I should have just been like, Jeffy, here's no. the, uh, so here's, here's, here's here, where we're here the songs. Yeah. Because you and I, we put a lot into our songs, especially on our older records and on your older records. I think we both suffer from having choruses that have too many lyrics. And the trade-off is we don't have as catchy of a chorus hook as maybe we should have for a song. Yeah, Because yeah. We're, we're so consumed with like getting these ideas out. Yep. So then when we, when we do the media rounds and we're doing publicity for the records, we end up in interviews like we are <clears throat> at the moment where we can expand upon things and it kind of puts the songs in, in a whole different light. And I find that those are the, those are the artists that I'm drawn to. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. I, I, uh, I went to a thrice concert here in Denver with the wife last night. I was like, you know, bouncing my foot singing, like I was performing it like I normally would singing at the top of my lungs and like, Dude, a tear rolled down my cheek. I started, like, those lyrics from Thrice, they're just so beautiful, so well-written to me. He's a lot more patient. Um, I just, I think the instrumentals are conducive to that. And 
everything about the song, the atmosphere, along with this extremely poetic lyricism, it's just, it's so important. It's more important than the music, but, but even then with music that's a lot faster and speaking of bands that just cram everything in their bad religion is still, you know, my top three. And, uh, I, I want something to think about, mm-hmm. um, because when I got into this genre, uh, it was, it was the lyrics that sort of challenged my worldview. It was, it was the lyrics that sort of challenged my worldview and kind of, you know, got me out of sort of leaning towards staying Catholic as I was raised to be. Um, it got me out of sort of this very strictly individualistic libertarianism from my Wyoming upbringing, which has some isms associated with it that I wanted to kind of break from that just didn't quite feel right. And, right. you know, a lot of these bands had that for me. And so, yeah, it, it has to go into my music because it's just why I do music. A big step that you all made, I believe all five of you made this step at, at various times, is you moved from Wyoming to either Denver or Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, as the crow flies, it's barely two hours, you know? maybe on a bad day, yeah. <laughs> right? It's it's pretty close. What has that experience been like for you? And, and if you feel comfortable speaking on behalf of your bandmates who are lovely and who I miss, but who are not here at the moment, um, what can you say making that step from a college town in a deep red state to a progressive area in a swing state? How did that play out for all of you? First off, yes, they are lovely. And that's... If they, if they had been different people, I don't know if the band would still be together. We didn't all move at once. We didn't kind of come together and say, let's move to Denver and get famous. You know, it was kind of, we, someone would get a job, they'd move. Someone else would get a job, they'd move. Uh, someone would have to leave the band. And so it kind of pushed us all around. But mm-hmm. the fact that they are who they are made it to where here we are again, you know, kind of with the, the dream alive and pulsing and trying to push and show people uh, this music and continue to write. Um, As far as the, the, the political environment, if you will, um, the micropolitics of the two places that, you know, where we formed and where we are now, uh, being in a progressive area is really, really good. Um, I like to continue to learn and uh, be a better human. And I think that, that isn't to say those people didn't exist in Wyoming, but uh, I've met a lot more people who are very heady about their life philosophies. I really do enjoy um, what they can teach me. You know, it, it's really nice. I got to say, like you used to just, I used to just listen to music and get that um, from the lyrics. And it's nice to uh, get that in a community, not just having to listen to a new record and get it that way. The community here is very robust and, very passionate and there's a lot of uh folks who you know will go out there and uh protest what they feel they need to and make uh, hold venues accountable hold bands accountable and uh, i don't see anything wrong with that um but i will say that it was not as present um back in laramie remind me you're from not cody you're from uh, Casper. casper wyoming that's right you were born and raised there? Yeah. What was it like growing up there? Kind of hard to really say. Um, you know, I got out of there when I graduated high school. I was the poor kid from kind of like the poor burb, um, Evansville, just outside of Casper. And yeah. I did what 
most kids do from that upbringing, I guess. I rode my bike, I skateboarded, I went to the movies, and I listened to a whole lot of music. I was a bit, I wouldn't say I was an outcast, but I just kind of kept to myself. It was, it was okay. Nothing extremely uh, noteworthy, I suppose. Did you meet the rest of your bandmates in Laramie while you were I did. at school? Okay. Yeah, I did. I was uh, going to the University of Wyoming, and I was getting my master's in communication and teaching classes and working full time. And, you know, that's when I kind of got caught in the cadence of the sort of Laramie music scene. And that's when I met Nick, the guitarist for Poor Me. Um, we hit it off. We were both into punk. And we were like, shit, yeah, a punk band. This is like definitely more my style anyway. And then we grabbed some other guys. And 10 years later, here we are. Is Nick the primary songwriter in terms of at least the guitar parts? No, he's not. Um, well, we have two Nicks. Um, the Nick I was referring to, he he wrote all of Ready Made, and he wrote a okay. part of Cosplay. And he's got some songs that have been demos for literally years. But now the uh, the drummer, Nick, who we call Gurr, is the primary uh, songwriter. And he'll write you know, the strings, and then he'll write the drums and... Him and I will typically uh, go back and forth on song structure and other guys will throw in some leads or I'll write some leads. I'll like hum a lead and be like, can you play that on guitar? You know, something like that. Uh, and that's kind of how it is now. So it's everyone's just setting it up, setting it up, setting it up just for Mike to come in lazy ass with that four string instrument that no one cares about and just spike yeah, the songs. If Gurr writes something that's boring, Mike will redo it, but... Gert really? Is, okay. You know, I was making fun of him. But Gert yeah, is, I, yeah. Yeah. And he deserves it. Um, no. Um, <laughs> but Gur is, he's just so incredible that people typically don't have an issue with what he wrote. And so they're like, well, what am I going to do? Rewrite this awesome part. So they just learn it instead. It's interesting that you dropped that bit of knowledge because this record has really unique rhythms. I can see where a drummer's perspective or a drummer's influence in the songwriting, I see how it unfolds in a number of these songs, for sure. Yeah, it really is. Wow. I mean, he's he's extremely talented. That dude's uh, And he'll, he'll roll out yeah. with an entire song that's just put together with uh, so much character. I kind of bring a sort of structural component to it. You know, I'll get the melodies that I want. And mm -hmm. if I feel like I haven't flushed out an idea, I'll be like, hey, we need to extend something or let's you know, get some dynamics or something. But as far as all the pieces, it's just kind of Legos after he comes up with all the pieces. Because, you know, we live in a digital world. I got to say, I don't think we would exist if we didn't live in a digital world because we don't really get together enough. Uh, we kind of write most of our stuff with our, our DAWs. I would think that you're the type of lyricist that you probably have three to five pages of notes and lyrics per song, and you have to whittle it down to make what you really want to work and what you want to fit actually fit in the song? I definitely don't just sit down and write something and it just kind of becomes what it is. Uh, yeah. I've got a notepad where if I come up with an idea or a phrasing, I'll write it down uh, and then I'll go back through it when I'm going to write a new song and kind of whatever. But for the most part, what I'll do is I'll, I let the, the melody kind of lead it. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll sit down and I'll just mumble melodies that I like, and then right. that'll give me the uh, sort of the pacing and the syllables that I'm bound to and stuff. And then I'm very revisionist in the way I write. So, you know, uh, I'll have various phrasings that don't necessarily piece together, and then I'll find a, a common link, and then I'll blow everything out from in between those two pieces, and everything else kind of becomes itself. 
you guys were always one of our favorite bands to play with, to hang out with, and to listen to in the van. That's that's a kind of an odd, unholy trifecta to come across a band like that where everybody in the van likes them as people and as musicians and really likes the song. Ah, man, we love you too, Jeffy. Uh, you know, we do the same with Divided Heaven, our sort of like far more feel-good Green Day go-to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> you know, I like I like the sort of softer stuff more than the rest of the guys we just get really excited in fact you know we always talk obviously between releases and just you know generally and um whenever i pull something your way that's like hey i, sh- I showed jeff this uh the feedback from you it's almost like uh you're some sort of like authority on our direction and our confidence on stuff um it's like hey jeff said that this song's good <laughs> I, like, I think, all right, yeah. all right, that's the single. Like, it doesn't matter if 50 people were like, no, this other song. Yeah, but Jeff said, this is the single. I, like, man, still I, to this day, Sidewalks will be on the list of possible songs we play for a set. And the reason is always, but that's like, that's Jeff's favorite song. Maybe we should put that in there. That was my favorite song for a long time. I know. Yeah. I think when I met you guys, I, I don't know, I felt like a fish out of water. I felt like I was, who had just quit his full-time job to start touring, and I had missed four or five years of, quote-unquote, the scene and what the scene had to offer. So I was just kind of flailing out there on the road, and I think that I kind of, it helped me to at least pretend that I was big-brothering you guys. I liked you all so much as people that I wanted to champion your band. It certainly helped that your band was very good. I think it's why it kind of makes this genre, whatever it is, you know, without getting in the weeds around, you know, what genre are you? Just kind of know it's from the same cloth. I think it's why we keep doing it. Is it not, you know, uh, the, the possibility, um, and, and the likelihood in touring with the, the people that we call, uh, you know, shared contacts and, then they end up peppering around the country and all you want to do is take your band out and go see them. I feel like I I wish that you guys had been able to tour more. You know, we always wanted to tour more. Um, but we've all got those full-time jobs that we, we were never really able to buck for one reason or another. And, you know, we went as far as, uh, Chicago, um, all up to the Northwest, all the way down to the Southwest. Um, and there's just so many places you can play. Um, that after we started meeting people, kind of to your point, you know, about championing championing a, a band or people is just, you start making friends and you don't really want to go out further and meet other people. Not that there's not great people <laughs> yeah. out there, but I guess maybe it's part of being old or it's just like, hell, we don't see these people enough as it is. Um, if we're going to go on tour, let's go back and see those folks we know in Vegas, those folks we know in LA, um, those people we know up in Seattle. And so we haven't really gone far. We're always talking about what if we like flew out for a festival and that's kind of like putting together a record. It's like great talk, not going to happen. It's, it's it's difficult financially, logistically, but something that I think you guys tactfully tackled. How about, how about that for an alliteration on the song love struck on this record? You're, singing about the scene and 
you and I, everybody in your band and myself, we've been around long enough to know that when a band starts to sing about that or talk about that in between songs, it can be cringeworthy. But Johnny from For the Love of Punk seemed to be really one of the good guys and and somebody else that championed you guys. And you kind of toasted him out nicely with this really beautiful song. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And we only had a really crappy demo and Johnny listened to it and he called me up and he goes, this isn't great, but I can really hear what it's supposed to be. You need to get it professionally recorded. I don't think we were going to take anything very seriously. We're going to college, you know, work, other things we wanted to do. And I think he kind of lit a fire that we ended up rolling with. And just the support from him was so formative that I really can't figure out a different moment uh, in those years that we didn't lean heavy on, Mm -hmm. uh, more heavily on. And so I I just knew that he was important. His kind words started something much bigger than a, a single conversation, but that's really all it took. You know, then he invited us to his house and we we tracked some demos there and it was just a really good relationship. And so, you know, at the end of Johnny's life, uh, he, I wasn't really, really close with him. You know, I suppose there were a few years that had gone past that we would see each other at shows, but we weren't really super close. Um, I was going to do a college project on his website um, to kind of help, you know, um, Support you that were writing project. for them for a while too, or contri- yeah. as a contributor. Correct? Yeah, I contributed a little bit, and I was trying to help him out with uh, some more big picture kind of marketing things. And but that was about it. And then I had been hearing, you know, stories about you know how the man had changed, and you know, uh, I can't even speak in detail. But for other people who are I'm very close with, you know, they kind of had some horror stories, and. Um, you know, next thing I knew, um, he was gone. And the song is ultimately just sort of about, you know, first and foremost, though he clearly had changed, that it doesn't take away from the fact that who he was when I met him and for several years following that, uh, he was just an amazing contributor to the scene. And he no doubt changed my life for the better. Um, And then uh, the second part is just, you know, how sad it is, uh, what ultimately happened and, uh, hearing what he was going through and then, you know, him ultimately killing himself. Uh, there was a momentum there that I suppose I should have seen coming, um, that a lot of us should have seen coming. I think a lot of people maybe did and they didn't know how to handle it. Some people were obviously involved and did their best, but it's about that momentum, you know, and it's, it's tragic that, the momentum from the Johnny that I knew when I first met him was not able to help carry him through. And that honestly, there's some guilt there where, where I wasn't able to sort of pass that back. And there's a lyric there, you know, where's the love we're not returning. Yeah. Or, you know, pass it along. Like it it didn't need to be his responsibility for all those years. It's unfortunate that he descended into what happened, of course. Right. But, didn't need to be his responsibility to up to lift up everybody else that whole time either. Right. Uh, we all need to be, uh, flag bearers and, um, it's not easy. 
Um, but you know, back to what you had asked me earlier about this community here in Denver, um, those people certainly exist. And even more interestingly, a lot of those times, those people aren't well received, um, for being, you know, the flag bearers of what's right and trying to, um, sort of mold the community in, Mm -hmm. in, into something that, uh, I'm, I'm sure they experience from listening to other bands in the genre and, um, so those people are still around, but this one, this song was about, about Johnny and, uh, you know, some, some deep hearted thanks and some regrets and all those things that are, you know, com- complex and complicated in our songs. And, you know, it's about one person. It's not grandiose, you know, to the, to the scene, but it can easily be extrapolated to that. And if you knew Johnny, you would know that he somehow made his individual, you know, behaviors just be enormous. Everyone, I think most people that I know outside of the Denver area knew of For the Love of Punk, whether they knew Johnny or not. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing, man. I know that that's not easy to dive into. Yes. Especially in a public forum, but I appreciate the candidness. When you guys released Class War last year, I thought, uh, the boys are back. This is fucking great. And you're out for blood. And you're having all this Trump imagery, y'all were really going for it. You were out for blood, which I liked. Was that a showcase our urgency or, or was it just a sign of the times? I'm sure it was a sign of the times. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but I, I've heard several times in my life that, you know, punk's at his best when politics sucks. Get the fuck um, out of here. I fucking hate that shit. You know, but but you you know it's true, right? Um, I suppose it's the same sort of flavor as you know what I was mentioning about Johnny, right? Is like, I think we get, all get a little bit complacent. I think we don't address the nuances because we're not directly affected. Um, when you're hearing, you know, these sprawling policies that are racist, uh, yeah. we're supporting hate groups, um, and there's no clear monitoring and judgment coming back on individuals who are spewing that hate speech. I, th- I think, uh, it's pretty easy to do that. Um, most times I'm sure you hear in our songs, like I, I kind of relegate a lot of that commentary, like, wait, hold on. Why don't we think about this for a second? There's really nothing to think about. We needed to get that guy out of office. Um, and we need to stop paying attention to him and stop, uh, encouraging his, uh, public appearances and act like he doesn't exist he's he's absolute trash it was almost as if like the the guardrails that you know that people talk about the guardrails of democracy you know they withheld trump and it's like well no you actually you kind of like paved over those guardrails and built these guardrails that were a lot wider like way over here and way over here like you you made room for his path to the presidency you made room for his misogyny and his bigotry and his racism i think where you and i might differ is i'm not of the i don't ascribe to the notion that when politics are bad that's when the art gets better that can be used just as easily as a uh, as an opinion as it as it can as a crutch sure yeah uh let me let me rephrase then let me rephrase i think politics becoming as extreme as they 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 do when I think people tend to say that. I think it's just more obvious for more people, um, yeah. people on the edge, 
um, people who sympathize to a lot of things, um, you know, maybe people more in, more in the middle, um, aren't as upset. They can kind of see both sides. I think, uh, it's just infuriating or it was infuriating for four years. Um, and so I think there were just more people saying it and yeah. for people who maybe are always a bit more upset with a lot of moderate policy, um, they were just more angry. I know I was. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. If <laughs> I always say this, <laughs> if I could either have a version of poor me that's that's awesome and political and just poignant and out for blood like you were on this record, or not have a Donald Trump presidency. Like I'd rather not have a Donald Trump presidency. Yeah, you know no, I mean? absolutely. Like, with all due respect. <laughs> First of all, it felt very good to be that angry uh, about um, his presidency. And yeah, I'm not going to itemize it. We don't have enough time. But uh, that's carried through to some of the new batches of, of songs we've been writing. I think you'll like the, the next record. I know we just released one, but uh, we got right back to writing it. I think it was just uh, therapeutic enough that we didn't spend much time waiting on doing that. So. Uh, I'm glad you like it. And I'm really glad that you said that you'd rather not have a Trump presidency uh, because I would have corrected you. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. At one point, we were rocking out in the van to Sugarcane, and then we kind of had this collective, what the fuck is this song about? There was a band from Philadelphia a number of years ago called Kill the Man Who Questions, a really good political band that were kind of leaning on the crust side of things. I love that name. Yeah, and they had uh, the slew of seven inches, and then they released, finally, they released an album, an LP, and it was called The Sugar Industry. And uh, there was this great inside joke that we had with my bandmates, like whenever things were going wrong in the world or like within the band, someone would say, well, if we all paid more attention to the sugar industry, then maybe this wouldn't be a problem. And they would just get a pop from everybody because it always kind of reminded me of that and made me chuckle. But I... uh, it took a few listens to kind of understand how serious your song was, Sugarcane, and the, uh, you know, the, the meat of the song and what it's about, which I find really, really interesting. So you're trying to kind of take on the notion of the capitalism, the capitalist DNA in the American educational system. Do I have that right? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I've just, I've been a career student, man. I'd find myself going to school thinking this is how I, you know, get ahead and then can't find a job. And then I'd go to school thinking this is how I get ahead. And, you know, everyone in that industry will tell you you're doing the right thing. Um, but, you know, they, they can't tell you the first thing about what people hiring in the real world are actually looking for. And, right. uh, um, you know, you, you pay your tuition and you pay your fees and your fees have like, huge sums going towards athletics and i'm like what the fuck um you know i'm here to learn i'm here to uh challenge my brain and and a lot of my money is going into you know things like that um universe wyoming you know i left there they they're always calling me asking for money and and shit and you know every time i hear something back from from folks uh, back in Laramie, they're like, oh, they expanded the stadium. Uh, and so there, there's things like that, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, 
they cut programs, they cut departments that are just purely academic. It's just something you see. It's not anything extremely surprising to hear, I suppose, from me. But yeah, that song indicts that. And, uh, you know, I think that being heady in the way you live your life um, allows you to um, not only lead yourself in a way that is not destructive for others, but allows you to help other people, you know, through um, their negotiations of life. And I think that's what the education system should do. You know, um, there were, I encountered so many smart people who are caught in a system that want them to, you know, not teach these really unique classes where they have um, specialties because, mm-hmm. you know, we want you to teach this stuff for people who don't care about your department and um, you're going to get a budget cut and we're going to downsize the number of faculty in this department. And that just kind of pisses me off, um, to, to put it frankly. And so despite going to school for a very, very long time and certainly finding value in what I learned, um, it's just kind of a process for them to, to make money. I mean, you can't even, you can't even get a job without getting the piece of paper. You can go three and a half years to get your undergraduate and it doesn't mean shit because the education system has basically convinced people that unless you go all the way and you've given them all the money they want, um, what you learned piecemeal is, is not, uh, not enough. Did you feel like your back was against the wall and you had to go and pursue a master's if you really wanted to excel in your field? Yeah, I, uh, well, kind of, uh, I wanted to be a debate coach when I started, uh, my first, uh, master's degree. And then midway through, I decided maybe I didn't want to do that. So then I thought maybe I'll just try to get something out there in the, the real world, if you will. Um, uh, it was a communication degree. So, you know, I'd apply for like communication manager roles and uh, a couple times in that process, I'd be, you know, I followed up with the hiring managers and I was like, hey, so, you know, how can I improve my standing here for future, um, you know, hirings, other firms, et cetera. And it was like, well, we hired a, you know, someone who had a you know, business degree. And I'm like, all right. And so then you get out and you're like, man, it's just money, money everywhere, you know, like, uh, and don't get me wrong. It's not like it doesn't make sense. Um, but I don't think that the education system preps people to understand that, uh, no matter where you go, it's going to be, it's going to be money. And, um, I guess I have this, um, naivety around, uh, just learning for knowledge sake and unfortunately, it costs you tens of thousand dollars to pursue that and share a room with people who are um, extremely smart and dedicated their lives to that pursuit. You know, like I said, I met some really incredible people who just frankly aren't, uh, you don't have access to them unless you're paying the university. Yeah. Um, not to say that those people don't exist outside of, you know, university systems, but uh, it's kind of a bummer that uh, that's, that's where you access these people who just are lifelong learners. It's it's interesting. It's interesting. So, you know, the song Sugar Cane's got some anger about that, but at the same time, it's we have to just recognize that's what it is. So I don't to this day, even though I have two master's degrees, I don't tell people you gotta go to college. You know, like 
if you if you want to go through some coursework that you really enjoy or you need to because it's you know STEM, which I, I would suppose in that case you probably do, um, you really got to do it for you. Um, but you don't get told that. You get told it's this is your key, this is your ticket to success. Yeah, here's your paper that says you're in the middle class now, and then you're like five years later, you're like, why the fuck am I still poor? <laughs> I love you. I love you too, Jeff. I miss you. And thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's 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 a nice excuse just for us to talk more, I think. Um, for sure. We probably just need to talk more, but you're probably so saddled with this project that uh, you're scheduling talks with uh, other people on this list you claim to have, so I would understand. Leave it to Brett to take the piss. Oh, my goodness. All right. I love that dude. I love that band. Please check out their new record, Stalemate. Again, poor me. Great band. Thanks again to our sponsors, New Wave, Flow State Coffee. NewWave.co slash Berman saves you 10%. N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N. As in Berman. As in me. As in my last name. As in the namesake of this podcast. This is going to be the last pod for a little bit. I'm going to take a little bit of a break. And when I come back, it's going to be something a little different for a few months. The Berman Hour is going to be going into oblivion. I'm going to be doing a series where I talk to people who were involved with me in the making of the new Divided Heaven record, which I can tell you now is called Oblivion. And more information to come. I might do a little teaser about it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So I hope you follow along. Until then, peace.